Welcome to the Willow Ridge Sermons Podcast. This is where you can find audio from Sunday morning messages and more. Make sure you're subscribed so that you don't miss future episodes, and thanks for listening. say to you, Dave's already welcomed you, but good morning. I'm glad that you are here. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 10. We are, we are back in Genesis this week. I want to thank Shane uh, for sharing with us last week just a wonderful gift and, and asset that he and his family are to our church and so grateful that they are a part of our church family and was just wonderful for him to be able to fill in. He's going to be speaking some more for us this summer and in the fall, and we're looking forward uh, to all of the things that God's going to do and that God's going to teach us uh, as, as well as, as he continues to, to share with us. Well, as we get into this, to Genesis chapter 10, uh, my wife, uh, we were talking this morning as I was getting ready to leave. Uh, on Sundays, I get up earlier uh, than she does. Normally, it's the other way around. Normally, she's a 4 a.m. gal during the school year. That's when she's up. She wakes me up at 5.30. On Sundays, I get up before she does. I get coffee ready. Uh, she's downstairs on the couch as I'm leaving, and, and she just normally ask me, like, how, are you looking for, like, what's today? Just something about what she knows that I'm going to have to do that I've been preparing for. And I said, you know, today we're, we're back in. We're going to look at another one of these genealogies. And she's like, oh, okay, well, well, what's that going to be like? I was like, this is the one that it's like, these are the names that keep me up at night, all right? Um, so I want to invite you as I'm reading through them, just pray for me, right, as the Lord leads. Um, and if, if I mispronounce any of them and you know the correct pronunciation, of it. Here's what I need you to do after the service, all right? After service, I want you to walk up to me and go, man, you nailed that, all right? Like, just let me be that kid that got it wrong, but, but I get a trophy for it anyways, okay? All right, uh, so here's where we are. As we get into this, kind of some things that we've been talking about and, and building off of, of last week, as we, as we read through God's Word of what we, what we learn about who God is and what God desires for us, is uh, some, some statements that we make often, but I want to reiterate going into this passage of Scripture. Because we're going to look at genealogy, we're going to look at Babel. And these can kind of be some difficult passages to wrestle with. But, but I think what we're going to get to in these as we look through this is really going to point us to the hope that we have in God. Right, the hope and who he is. And so as we, as we get there, let's kind of start off some, with some reminders. Number one is this, God gives commandments, not suggestions. All right, God's not in the suggestion business. God gives commandments, not suggestions. Oftentimes we take the commandments of God and we treat them like the suggestions of God, meaning do I feel like I need to do this or not? And when we take the commandments of God and we transform them in our mind, in our heart, to the suggestions of God, what we do in that is we sin. That's where we, we refine where we are. God gives commandments, not suggestions. And the Bible is filled with them, right? The Bible is filled with them. An example that I thought of, at least personally for me, let me pick on me, maybe not on you. Things that I often like to take as commandments and make them as suggestions is in the concept of forgiving. I love to be forgiven. I'm so glad that God forgives me. But God's word also calls us, Jesus says repeatedly over and over again, specifically in Matthew 6 and Matthew 18, that we are called to forgive. We are called to forgive as we have been forgiven. That's the commandment, not the suggestion that the Lord gives us. But oftentimes, even though that I know that's a commandment, as I wrestle with that in my being of who I am, I want to choose, I want to treat that as the suggestion, as this is what God would want want me to do, but I'm not ready for it yet, and that's just okay, but the truth is it's not okay. 
right? It's the commandment of God, of what God calls me to forgive as he has forgiven me. That's the call. God gives commandments, not suggestions. And in these commandments, I think it's healthy that we take a step back and look at these commandments of the Lord. We, we view commandments oftentimes as restrictions or punishments, right? That God is going to give me this list of rules, as restrictions on my life, and then they limit to my detriment the things that I want to do, or the things that I can do, or the things that I choose to do. That it's like God walking in on the first day of school and getting all the students sat down and said, okay, here's what you can and cannot do, right? But that's not at all how we're to view God's commands. What I want us to see when we see God's commands, that we understand this, that God's commands are for his glory and for our good. The commandments of God are for his glory and they're for our good. Repeatedly over and over in the Old Testament, what we will see is God command his people for something and then he'll say something like, and to set you apart or for my name's sake or so that you will be a holy people. God's saying, I'm not giving this to you to restrict you. I'm not giving this to you to punish you. I'm not giving this to you so that you can't experience joy, but I'm giving this to you for my name's sake so that as people see, as people hear, they'll give glory to me. And so we see this with forgiveness. We forgive for God's glory but they don't deserve it, but they're not the object. It's, it's God, and we, we forgive for his glory and for, for his name, right? So we, we forgive as, as people see the work being done in us, the display of God's grace and forgiveness. It's for the name and for the glory of God. But also, we, we, we live in the fruit of that. We live in the fruit of, as God command, gives us his commandments for, for his glory, he, he also gives us for our good. And so we forgive for our good. Like this, is, this is a wonderful joy of what God grants us in his commandments. And so when we, we, could, we could look at this in so many different ways with the commandments that he gives us, but in, in, in simplicity's sake, in, in forgiveness, in as we forgive, it's for our hearts and it's for our freedom that we forgive. Like we don't think about that. But it's for our heart that we forgive, right? Because when I forgive, what I'm releasing is bitterness. And is there anybody who just gets really excited when you get bitter? No. And when we release the bitterness, we experience the joy that comes from forgiveness. We do. Those who are forgiving, right? So it does good for our hearts, but it also does good for our freedom, it does good for our freedom, our freedom in who we are in the Lord. Why? That, that, that this person or this people or this situation, guess what? In my bitterness, what does it have? It has control over me. It has control over my thoughts. It has control over my emotions. It has control over how I treat others that aren't even connected to this. And so as I forgive, it's good for my heart, but it's good for my freedom because now that person or that thing that has now I've moved past from, they no longer have control over me, right? And so this is just some examples of what we see that God gives commandments, not suggestions, and God's commandments are for his glory and our good so that when we obey God, 
God, God is glorified and it is good for us. It may not manifest itself immediately. This isn't some prosperity gospel message that we just do good and then good and good and good and good. But as we do, as, as, we, as we obey God, what we, what we understand, it's for our good, for the work that he's, that he's doing in us. And so what we've seen so far through Genesis is, is God is, is giving commands. And I want to focus in on one of those before we get to Genesis 10 this morning. Um, we'll go all the way back to Genesis 1, uh, verse 28. Right, this is God in the garden with Adam and Eve, and this is, And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so when you see, and God said to them, right, this is the clue. This is that set that bell going off. Like, this is a command. This is what God is telling them, not suggesting to them. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Now, just on a scale of one to 10, how good from, from uh, what we read early on in Genesis to where we are, are mankind about obeying God, right? Like, not good, not good. So we, we see where they didn't obey. And then generations didn't obey. And then generations didn't obey. But in the glimmer of disobedience, we see things like Enoch, and Enoch walked with the Lord, right? And we see that Noah was a man of God who walked with the Lord. And so Noah and his family go on this faith journey with God, right? This huge faith journey on the ark, the destruction of the world, of what we see, of what God says he's going to do, and he, and he does it. And then at the end of this journey with them, Genesis 9, verse 1, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Right? So like triggering us back, let's take us back, Genesis 1. Right, some words are different, but the meaning is the same. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, right? And God knows his kids. Like, you know your kids, right? God knows his kids. And do you ever tell your kids things once? Nope, you tell them multiple times, right? Multiple times. So God comes back, Genesis 9, 7, and you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. And so over and over and over again, what we see are these, this command of God, that God commands and desires for his people to know him, to walk with him, to reproduce so that there's more of them, and then to take the creation that he and he alone has created and fill it. Fill it. Move, get out of mom and dad's house, pay your own bills, let's go, let's expand. And so here's what we're going to see in Genesis 10. We're going to see these generations following Noah. And let's evaluate how they do. And in this moment, I exhale and you give me grace on my pronunciations, all right? These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. 
The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Medai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Ripheth, Togermah. The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Ketim, Dodanum. And then verse 5, and this is the verse, one of the three verses I want you to really notice. From these, the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans, and in their nations. Verse 6. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabdath, Ramon, Sabteca. The sons of Ramon, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod, and he was the first on earth to be a mighty man, and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. And from that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ur, Kala, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala, that is the great city. And Egypt fathered Ludum, Ananman, Labamun, Naphtuhum, Pathrasum, Kaslahum, and from the Philistines and came Kaphtorum. Verse 15. And Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, and the Morites, and the Gergesites, and the Hivites, and the Archites, and the Sinites, and the Ar- Arvidites, and the Zemurites, and the Hamathites. Afterwards, the clan of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended to Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Admah, in Zeboim, as far as Laisha. Verse 20, notice this verse again in pattern with verse 5. These were the sons of Ham. By their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Verse 21. To Shem, also the father of the children of Eber, the elder brother of the Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arpashad, Lud, Aram, the sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Arpashad fathered Selah, and Selah fathered Eber, and to Eber were born his two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan fathered Almadad, and Shephleth, where are we at? There we go. Hazemveth, Jurah, Nadarim, Uzal, Dikla, Obel, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Joab, and these were the sons of Joktan. The territory in which they live extended from Mesha in the direction of Sephar to the hill country of the east. And then notice verse 31, these were the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their land, and their nations. I did not expect that, but thank you for whoever started that. And Shane, next time you speak, buddy, I'm giving you the genealogies. Let's just... You're, you're going to get the names. Here, here's what we see. Did you recognize some places? 
I think you did. Did you recognize some names? Probably. There's a lot of them that you're like, man, I don't know who that is. I don't know if you pronounce that correctly or not. Like, I don't know where that would be. But maybe for some of these, what we're beginning to hear and see is like, okay, I know that this is going to be a big deal. I know that this is a person. I know that these are people. I know that these are places. And some of these places, right, like we hear them and it takes us, particularly when we think of of watching global news, and we've heard of some of these places before. But what we have in in these 31 verses is this biblical record of of people. And and if you look at a map of of the world, I want to kind of show you where these people have migrated to and where we find them living. And so these biblical uh, record of people, people live as far south in Africa as, as Ethiopia. This is a pretty big journey of what we're seeing in the lives of, of people. And as far north as in Kazakhstan, so we, we think of just, just south of like where Russia would be. And so we see this far south and, and this far north. We see as far east as, as Iran, and we see as far west as Libya. And so what's established in in these verses, in verse 5, in verse 20, and in verse 31, all coming from this genealogy of Noah and his sons, is these people are scattered, and they're scattering, and they're in unique ways, though, still grouped together, much like we are. People were scattered, but people are grouped. It's not one or two people over here, and so one or two people over here, but we're seeing this global formation of civilization. And, and in this, there's, uh, as we get these listings in these three verses of, of what kind of what happened in their spread and then what we see. It says that they, that they gather, that these are the generations by their language. So they're speaking at this point when we read, and if you know the story of the Bible, you're like, Bo, you're, you're getting ahead of yourself. Like, just, just go with me on this. They're speaking their, their languages. There's different languages that we see and happen in this genealogical record that's there. It says that they're known by their lands. And so we have people in mountains. We have people in plains. We have people it said in the coastlands, right? And so what we're finding is much like where we would identify that we live in the Midlands of South Carolina, but there's the low country and then there's the upstate and then there's the Rocky Mountains and then there's the Gulf and there's the Panhandle and then there's up in the Northeast. Like There's all of these things that define people by lands. And so we're seeing that here. And it says that also they're divided by their clans, which means this, they're divided in some aspects by their family. Like, do you live in an area? Like some of us, we're from all over the place, right? Like there are people who are here that lived as far away in foreign lands like California and Washington, right? I know there are places we've heard of, but they're real and that's where they're from. But if you were to ask me, like I've never lived farther than two hours from the town in which I was born. And there may be some of you even in here who like for generations and generations and generations have called this little small part of South Carolina home. And so we see that there are clans, and then this really cool word that we're gonna look at more specifically in the the future, there are nations. There are nations, right? And then, so look at verse 32. 
These are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies in their nations. And from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. And so what we see here is this formation of, of nations. And, and up until this point, the world of the Bible is a very unknown world for, for you and I. What we've looked at and what we've experienced in these first nine chapters is, is not the world that, that we know. And there are still massive differences that from our world today and the world that we see in Genesis 10 and moving forward, but, but what we see now are these groups of people are starting to more resemble the world that we know and how they've gathered together and then once they've done, once they've gathered what they've done with that, right? Nations have formed. So for some of you who may be like, Bobo, you're getting ahead of yourself. So does that mean when we read Babel here in just a moment that God's people are like, or, or the people are like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Our, our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they got it wrong. Cain and Abel, they got it wrong. Everyone on the earth got it wrong. Let's get it right. Let's get it right. God says be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So yes and amen, God, we're, we're going to, to do that. Does this mean they've gotten it right? And that answer is no. No, and, and here's why. Genesis 10 is an introduction to what we're going to see in Genesis 11, but it describes what has taken place after Genesis 11. And here's how we know this. Genesis 11, 1 and 2. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. So when we understand that 10 is this introduction for us to let us know what's going to happen in the future, what we see is following the flood, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 11, kind of give us this snapshot of what mankind is doing. The whole earth had one language. They had the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain and they all settled there. God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And they say, nah, we're good. We got us. And so here's what we see in this. We see partial obedience. Partial obedience is what we see in their attitude of what they, as they walk off onto the ark, as generations begin to form. Were they fruitful? Yes. Did they multiply? Yes. Did they fill the earth? No. No. They did not fill the earth. So let's talk about partial obedience for just a second. Partial obedience is actually disobedience. Partial obedience is in fact disobedience, which oftentimes leads to greater disobedience. They got off the, the ark, we, we believe, in, in modern day Turkey, far east Turkey. And then where we find in this moment of where we believe 
biblical um, um, scholars believe that we've now ended probably somewhere in like northwest Iraq, right, in the land of Shinar. And what we see in their partial obedience, what they would credit, what, what I would do too, right? Like, God, I, I know that I didn't do it all, but I did some, you know? Is we see the sin grow. The sin grow out of partial obedience that is really disobedience and is going to lead to greater disobedience. And so let's see what they do. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitten for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Wow. Look at what they did. Let's build a city. That's not bad. Like some of us live in the city, some of us live in a town, some of us live out in the country, some of us live in neighborhoods, some of us live where we can't see anybody and we like it that way, right? But we all live in this, in this world where it's a city, a county, or a state. Like we find that there's these borders, that there's these barriers that kind of establish with who we are. So they decide they want to build a city. And on the surface, like, oh, okay, that's okay, that, that's fine. All right, let's build a tower. All right, let's, let's build structures. Let's evolve and let's see. And let's build a tower that's so big that it reaches the heavens. And, and in that, we're like, okay, as I'm reading this, like, well, that's not a really a big deal. They, they built a city, they wanted to build a tower, but then they exposed themselves. Then the heart of their sin reveals where they truly know who they are. And, and what is their reason for doing this? So that we can make a name for ourselves. We're, we are called to live for the glory in the name of God. Let's build a name for ourselves. And in fact, more of the heart is exposed so that we're not dispersed over all of the earth. Let's glorify our name so we can be disobedient to who God is. Here's what partial obedience says. Partial obedience says this. I want you to think about that in your life. I can think about it in my life. You think about it in your life. Partial obedience says, says this to God. I trust you with some, but I don't trust you with all. I trust you in the area of my life that I'm comfortable with trusting but I don't trust you in areas of my life that I think that I can control better than you, which is disobedience. And what we see in this is it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. And the city and the tower are not sin and objects. But what they are is they are outward expressions of their inward sin. You know, your inward sin and my inward sin doesn't stay in us very well. 
our inward sin does a really good job at manifesting itself outward. For us to see, for others to see, and then in the detriment of this, in areas where we decide, man, we're gonna get glory for it. We're gonna take credit for it. This is gonna build us in our name, in our kingdom. And so this city and this tower of what we find are these outward expressions of their inward sin. And so, so what are there two? Maybe, man, I know I struggle with these. Maybe you guys can join me in, in the admitting and, and seeking the Lord in repentance of, of these sin struggles in your life. But they've got the sin of security, right? You ever thought about that, the sin of security? Oh, how foolish that is. The sin of security. Oh, here's this, man, comfort surpasses God's plan. I can secure myself, I can hold myself. It's what I want in the sin of praise. Oh, the sin of praise. Noah got off the ark and built an altar to the Lord. They got the land and decided to build a different altar, an altar to themselves. But here's what's cool. As God has done, and as God will continue to do, God responds. Look at verse five. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Ooh, there's some good stuff here, right? Most theologians talk about the fact that you can see a hint in biblical comedy, right? Like I know you might not read the Bible looking for a good laugh, but this is one of them right here, right? So they build their city, they build their tower to reach the heavens. And God says, now can God see everything? Yes, God can see everything. God can see us right now, God sees all over. There is not anything that is hidden that God cannot see. But in this moment, what do we see here? The Lord said, let me come down so that I can see this thing that you've done, right? Like, I get the picture of this a little bit. Like, you remember when you were little and you decided, like, you went to your dad and you're like, I'm going to build a fort, right? And so your dad, you know, like, gives you uh, tools and, and stuff. And so you go out into the woods and, and man, you're going to build a fort. And as a little kid, at least I know for me as a little boy, Man, I, as I'm building that, I'm like, man, the square footage of this is just impressive, right? Like, I could live here, you know? And, and you go, and when you're done, and you're like, Dad, come with me so that you can see my fort, you know? And you think you've built this palace that's taken days and days and days, and what he doesn't realize is like all of his really expensive power tools are now resting in the mud, you know what I mean? And so they're back there and they're hidden, and, and the dad walks up and he's like, yeah man, first rain, this is done, right? If just a cool breeze comes by, this is falling over, right? And, and it says that the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. And now notice this, which the children of man had built. Not the children of God, but what the children of man had built. Look at verse six. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And, and, and I've got this underlined in my Bible, I would encourage you to do this as well. This is only the beginning of what they will do. Relatively speaking, 
the world's population is small. And it's in one language and in one city. And you would think, hey, well, if we're all on the same page, that's better, right? God said, this is the only beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. And what God says is, and in spite of the garden, and in spite of the flood, and in spite of all that is happening and all that is taking place, and this is just going to get out of control and out of control and out of control. And the depth of sin that will be capable for them, there is nothing, there is nothing within themselves that they will not be able to do. And so God's going to do something here. God's not going to do something like the flood. Right? God's promised he's not going to do that again. But God's going to do something here. And, and what I think is, is beautiful about this is God is going to judge their sin and glorify his name. God's going to take this act in this moment in the history of time. We believe that this story is true. We believe that this place is real just as your town and my town and today is real. And God says, here's what I am going to do. I'm going to judge their sin and I'm going to glorify my name. They want to glorify their name. I'm going to glorify my name. And so look at verses 7 through 9. Come, let us go down there, confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. And so now, when we read Genesis 10, and we see these groupings by language, by clan, by geography, and by nations, we see where this came from. It's not because man got it right. It's because in our sin, God says, watch how the plan of God is still going to be done. And I'm going to judge sin and glorify my name. So in that moment, languages were formed. In that moment, migration took place. In that moment, people groups were formed. And God is now spreading his creation all over the face of his creation just like he said he would. So in this though, how does God glorify his name? There are some areas in, in, in this, and we could spend a whole lot of time in, in, in these nine verses, but I want to kind of summarize these three things that we see from this passage of Scripture where, where God glorifies his name. And the first that we see from this, and this is going to take us from Genesis to Revelation, is what we see here, I'm just referring to from, from Babel to Babylon. From Babel to Babylon. What God does in this moment is he comes to Babel and he destroys what man had built. This one 
in their mind, great global government. And he scatters them. And he says, look at what they've been able to do in their rebellion. And as long as they're all unified together at this one, one language, one government, one nation, one people, what more destruction can they, can they do? But what scripture teaches us is there is going to come another great, meaning large, powerful global government. In, in, in the last days, right now in our world, it, as bad as we, we think that this world is, there is still this holding of the hand of God on, on, on all and even with, with the evil that we see happen and take place. But in, in the last days, there's going to be this loosening of the restraints of, of evil. And the Bible refers to this in, in, in 2 Thessalonians as the Antichrist and, and in Revelation 13 as, as the beast. And they will form a great global government. And in this government, there will become the great worldwide persecution of Christians. Now, and the, the word Babel was used 200 times in the Old Testament. And in all but a few, it's translated Babylon. And in, the, in, in Revelation, the Babylon is the name given to the great city of the beast. You might both like, this isn't getting better. But here's the deal. Did Babel fall? Yes. And Babylon will too. Right? Revelation 18.10 Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. Just as God stepped down and pronounced judgment, he will too. And who will bring the victory? Christ. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.8 And then the lawless one will be revealed by whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. And so the judgment of what we can look at this is the judgment of God on Babel is going to point us to this future judgment of Babylon. And in this, we'll continue to see the name of God as glorified. So the second way that God glorifies his name in this is nations are formed. Nations are formed. God commanded the earth to be filled by man, but man said no, and God says yes. In God, the redemptive plan of God in spite of the sinful plan of man. Next week we're going to look at this, and it's going to be more and more clear as what we look and as what we're going to see is God's going to choose for himself a man, and from that man God's going to choose for himself a people. And as God chooses himself a people, it will not just be for the people, but it will be for the nations of what's there. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make a great, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and honor, and, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed through Christ. And so nations are formed. And then what is Jesus going to do? 
Jesus is going to send us to the nations. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to him, All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. We, 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 we miss focusing on those words for just a moment. All authority on heaven and on earth, Jesus says, has been given to me. All authority from the Father, all authority over every nation, every government, every kingdom, all authority. I, Jesus says, am over them all. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so God forms these nations and so that God can take his people and through the work of Christ that we can bless them, not with us, and who we are in and of ourselves, but so that we can go in the name of Jesus Christ. The nations are formed and we are sent to them. And what we find in this, the last one, is how does God glorify his name? Because peoples, people group, nations are saved and a kingdom is formed. There's this new kingdom. Jesus talks about his kingdom that he is forming, that he's building. And it's not going to be a kingdom that's marked by a language. It's not going to be a kingdom that's marked by a border. It's not going to be a kingdom that's formed by an earthly government. But it's going to be a kingdom that is formed and shaped under the lordship of Christ. And so Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the the Greek or to the Gentile. So who does this land on? Who is this gospel for? Everybody. Everybody. Because what God's doing is he's calling, himself, call, calling to himself a people. One of my favorite verses, Revelations 5, starting in verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take this scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood uh, you, you ransomed people for God from every tribe, from every language, and people, and nation. Oh, that's Genesis 10. That's language. That's clan. That's land. That's nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. And so in closing, God commands us to this. For his name and for our good. And now, man, the world, there's a lot of people in it. I don't know that it's full, but it sure is filling. And God calls his church to not just gather and exclude, 
and isolate. But he calls them to scatter and to take the name of Jesus, not the name of man, to nations. And not to build our kingdom, but to build his kingdom. And so church, may we not build our own little Babel. And say, look at what we've done. But may we go to places we have never seen, to languages that we cannot speak, trusting in the power of the Lord for his glory. And because God is so beautiful for our good. You know, we are here because we were the nations. And people sent and people came. And you and I are here today in relationship with Christ, not because of some birthright, but because God desires for his name to be known and to be made known. And so someone, a missionary, a neighbor, a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, a friend, shared with you. And in that, God's name is great. How is this story of hope? It's this, if you look at it, it's like, but this story is of us getting wrong again. One more time, right? Us getting it wrong, us getting it wrong, us getting it wrong. And let's be honest, like, let's fast forward. Like, mankind, we hadn't gotten better. Why is it hope? Because they didn't stop the plan of God. They didn't stop. And God says, here's what I can do, because only God can do this. I will judge your sin as I glorify. Thanks again for listening. And be sure to check back next week for another episode. In the meantime, you can visit us at willowridgechurch.org or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.